Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Rishi Desai. Now, what if you had a long-lasting job that required constant problem-solving, coordinating healthcare, navigating complex systems, and much more, but you didn't get paid for it and you couldn't put that experience on your resume? Well, that's the situation caregivers of loved ones face and something today's guest is working on to change. Alexandra Drain has been involved in many aspects of the healthcare sector, including starting several companies and serving as a wellness expert for Prudential. In the last decade, she focused on changing the ways employers and job seekers view the role of an unpaid caregiver and started the organization Archangels to accomplish this goal. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rishi, I'm super excited to be here. I wish you all could see what I see because Rishi exudes kindness and curiosity. And that is such a wonderful balance. Now I'll say if you if you think flattery is going to get you anywhere with me, uh, it will. And so <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, it's very kind. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about like your background. Like what got you interested in this problem and maybe even more broadly, like in healthcare uh, in general? So what, what I have to start by saying what got me interested in this problem was not where people usually start when they talk about unpaid caregivers, right? So unpaid caregivers are anybody who's caring for or looking out for or loving on somebody. Could be a family member, a neighbor, coworker. Uh, and most people who got into this space got into the space because of a personal story, because there are a lot of personal stories, because often this is a really, 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 really hard job. People get no credit for it. In fact, they often get sort of tortured in it. The system almost revolts against you as an unpaid caregiver. I love to point out because I am a super geek that while I myself have been a caregiver, am a caregiver, have needed a caregiver, and will most certainly be a caregiver multiple times over again, thank you, Rosalind Carter, for the best quote ever, we got into the space because of the data, because the data is overwhelming, and the data has been overwhelming, and COVID has just super califragilistically exacerbated the overwhelmingness of the data when it comes to the 43% of adults in the U.S. right now serving as an unpaid caregiver. Thank you. No, thank you, COVID. Wow. I mean, so it strikes me as probably the largest job out there, right? 43%. I can't think of anything that anyone does that, that we collectively do that's higher than 43%, save maybe sleeping and eating, you know, where, where that hits 100%. But like, you know, in terms of jobs, like that's probably number one. Is, is that about right? Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned sleeping and eating, because one of the things that unpaid caregivers do is they often don't get to sleep as much and they often overeat, right? Overeating is a form of self-medication. I think it was our study that we published in partnership with the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. And it was Archangel's data that even before COVID, unpaid caregivers are self-medicating with food. They're comfort eating. Mm -hmm. The CDC study that we published looked at as of COVID, if you look at the increase in number of people who are using substances to cope, that rate has gone up by 5x for unpaid caregivers. And it's five times more. Actually, so let me ask me that question. I want to back me up to ask me the question about substances because I, I want to give credit to the CDC study first, but it's freaking incredible data. Do you mind saying a little bit more about substances? Like what, what substances are folks using to cope with their caregiving responsibilities? What does that mean exactly? Well, when we're talking about this incredibly massive population, right, the 43% of adults in the U.S. who are in this job and how hard the job is, it is a really hard job. And it's a job you opened with saying it's a job you get no credit for, right? We're trying to change all that. But what happens with when you have a job 
that has a lot of intensity. You're stressed, right? Mm -hmm. So this job for which you're not recognized and not getting usually much support um, creates enormous amount of impact on you mentally, physically, and folks, their natural response to that is to self-medicate. I know I do. And we published a study in partnership with the COPE initiative that actually got published by the CDC. We published three. This is the second one. And it looked at the impact of COVID on things like use of substances. And the substances in particular that this study was looking at was drugs and alcohol. Okay. And raise your hand if as an unpaid caregiver, you have at the end of a very long day filled yeah. with things you feel really good about sometimes and really awful about others, you have looked for the answer in the bottom of a glass or two glasses or three yeah. glasses or taking a sleeping aid or something else, whatever works for you. So it's actually 33% of unpaid caregivers over the course of COVID increased their use of substances to cope. And that's five wow. times the rate of the rest of the population. So that's drugs or alcohol. Wow. And unpaid caregivers, I'll tell you, it's a luxury when I get to drown my sorrows using that. But when I am in an active caregiving role, I can't. I can't yeah. because I have to get up at three o'clock in the morning, right? I want to make sure this person's breathing. I have to check to see if they take their medication. So what do I do then? Well, then I eat. And there was another study that we, it was a report actually that we did in collaboration with the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association that used Archangel's data that looked specifically at the percentage of caregivers who are coping through food, who are comfort eating, and it's 50%. So you just combine those numbers together. Caregivers, yeah. they take on a lot. They never complain. They're gorgeous in what they're doing. This job is an incredibly important one. It's often the most important job they'll ever have. They care about it more than anything else. Not only are they getting no support, they're often getting protested against in some way. Just go to the doctor yeah. and try and get your mom's medical records and see how they treat yeah. you, right? So what do you do? Yeah. You self-medicate. You know, I'm a pediatrician and I'm at a unique time in my own life. I'm expecting a baby girl in, in about six weeks. And so my mind is on the fact that in six weeks, I'm going to lose sleep. I'm going to be caring for this young baby. And what I've come to realize is that the village does kind of rally. So I've got friends and family that have donated food to be in our freezer and kind of help us in other ways. And so there's this kind of rally cry around caring for a baby, an infant. Society kind of gets that. With caregivers, sometimes I, I feel like it's the opposite. Like sometimes people in my own family have scrambled away and said like, look, we can't take care of it. You take care of it. Kind of like throwing the hot potato around. And society doesn't reward, like kind of socially reward that role in the way that they do for a new, new parent. I'm curious how that plays out and if there's any data to support these kind of observations I've, I've thrown out. Yeah. Oh, huge amounts here. First of all, oh my gosh, congratulations, <laughs> a baby Rishi. Yay, that's very exciting. Um, we will leave multiple baby pictures if you don't mind. <laughs> and when COVID's over, I request permission to hold your baby because I love holding yeah. babies, especially when they're not my babies and I get to get them back. My baby's now 14 and 16. So, you know, it's, I love that you give that analogy because it was one that really struck me when I had babies and I would be in meetings and somebody would lovingly lean over and be like, psst, Alex, you've spit up all down your back. And everyone in that meeting would be like, hee, hee she's got spit up. And yeah. then fast forward like 10 minutes, we're still all telling adorable stories about our babies and how tired we yeah. are. And people think it's yeah. fantastic, right? It's not yeah. just normalized, it is celebrated. Yeah. And it's, it's for a, a lot of reasons. You know, thank you to the movement 20 to 30 years ago that sort of helped make it okay to have babies and talk about having babies. Um, but we know that was a culture change in and of itself. It's also because the act of having a baby brings hope, right? Like 
good things are coming. You're going through a bad period, but it is going to end because it's a yummy yeah. little fat baby who's waking you up all night <laughs> is going to, you know, come into someone who sleeps for six or seven hours at a stretch at yeah. some point, please Lord. And it does happen. And then they sleep all day like my teenager watches. But the reality <laughs> for unpaid caregiving of an elder is different because there is yeah. not that light at the end of the tunnel. Right. For many, and this is why many years ago, we actually started a different um, movement called Engage with Grace, which was all about how do we help support people live their very best days until their last? And the system doesn't do that very well. It over it over treats, it over medicates, it, it it gives people too much. It doesn't let families talk about what is the best care for this elder going to look like. Because if you did have that conversation, you'd do a way better job as a family coordinating what that care was. And the other aspect of that is switching from, you know, we have data that shows about fifty percent of unpaid caregivers don't know what that term is, right? or they feel stigma associated with it. They don't tell the truth about it at work. They think they're not gonna get a promotion for it. They know they'll get shunned mm -hmm. for it. We see this varies by, by cultures, by ethnicities, by gender. And so a lot of what Archangels is doing is saying, okay, and I'm gonna stay with caring for an elder first, and then we'll come back to sandwich generation, which you are about to be my friend. When <laughs> you are you know, caring for an elder in this, in this role, what if our goal became not only are we going to destigmatize talking about unpaid caregivers? Not only we're not setting our bar on normalizing it, we're going all the way towards we are going to mother freaking celebrate it, right? We are going to say these unpaid caregivers are a badass warrior angels. And that's the name Archangels is all about. We're going to spread our wings out over these people that we're loving on fiercely, doing everything we can to care for them. And then we as a society are going to say, you rock. Archangel, what you were doing is incredible. I see you. I love you. Thank you. And we're yeah. not going to say to that unpaid caregiver, what can I do to help? Because caregivers never answer that question. They'll be like, I'm okay. I don't need anything. They never ask for help. Yeah. Instead, we're just <laughs> going to insert our bodies there. We're going to put yeah. our bodies there. We're going to fill fridges. We're going to mow lawns. We're going to come and sit with somebody's father. Say, no, you go for a walk right now. I insist. Yeah. Right? You put your body there. Don't ask, just help. Now I have to yeah. answer a little bit more because you're about to be a baby daddy. So here's what's yeah. so exciting <laughs> about the world now as it relates to sandwich generation caregivers, but it's going to sound horrifying that I say it's exciting. COVID <laughs> has really exposed the extent to which unpaid caregivers are laid bare in today's environment when it comes to getting the recognition or support they need. The third CDC study that we did was the, the study that said as of COVID, 43% of adults, as we said, are unpaid caregivers in general. 70% of them are having at least one adverse mental health condition. But 23% of adults, Rishi, are sandwich generation caregivers. So 23% of all adults across the US are in this sandwich generation role, which means you're caring for babies or infants or children under 18 as a parent or guardian at the same time that you're caring for somebody over 18 or people over 18. And that has a profound impact on your on your health overall. You know, I'm curious about planning. You know, when when uh, you go through your life, a lot of times people they might plan to find a partner, they might plan to have kids, they might plan retirement. They plan these different stages of their life. In your in your research, do people typically plan for elder care? Is that something that they kind of strategize around, think about, save for, or does it kind of more often than not kind of land in their laps? And then they're scrambling to pick up the pieces. Like, what, what, what is often the story? I'm just curious. I think it's a yes and, you know? Mm -hmm. And I saw this, whether I'm working with executives or when I was working as a cashier at Walmart, whoever you are, 
whatever your style of interacting with the world around you, whether you are somebody who has OCD and is overprepared for everything, or you're someone who rolls with it with a smile and glory all day long, I have never met an unpaid caregiver who's going through it for the first time, who wasn't almost put to their knees at the extent to which they could never have predicted what wow. would actually happen and how they would feel about it. And wow. you mentioned before really needing support. And you have, yeah. you have built around you this gorgeous community, right? And they're going to be there for you. CDC's data showed that there are things that really increase, we use the term caregiver intensity, and there are things that really increase that level of intensity. Family-related disagreements, stress over money, not having time for yourself, feeling underprepared. But there's also one overwhelming factor that decreases that intensity, and that's knowing that you were supported, feeling supported. And so again, as we're thinking about, you know, if you're a first-time caregiver, it's really hard to know what's coming. And so what you really need to do, anyone who's listening who's not yet been in this role when it happens to you, or anyone who's listening to it, listening, and this is, this is the first time they're in that role, you need what we call your red phone. You need to know ahead of time who was the person you're going to call when, you know, everything hits the fan. And it happened for me one day and I work in this space, but it was a moment I remember so particularly well. I was sitting at my desk as I am right now talking to you. And I got a phone call about somebody who I love so fiercely, like with every atom, every fiber of my being. And it was their paid caregiver saying, we are standing outside the emergency room. I think it was my dad. I think your dad um, might be having a heart attack. And I had prepared for everything as it related to COVID, as it related to getting COVID. I somehow forgot that my dad could have other things happen. You know, he's 79 yeah. years old at that point. Yeah. And so we were not ready for what if he has a heart attack? And I remember the blood draining from my face, like standing straight up, telling her I was going to like call her right back and literally walking around in a tight little circle, not able to think. I couldn't process. The only thing I knew to do was to call my friend Lisa Soonan. And I love Lisa Soonan. And she's one of you. She's not my best, best, best friend. She is a best friend. But my body was like, Lisa Soonan's going to know what to do. And she was my red phone. And I called Lisa. And you know what? She did know what to do. So everybody have a red phone. It might not be who you think it is. And it might change. But know when things go horribly wrong, who is that person going to be? And the first thing you need to do in that moment is get a red phone. Be prepared at least with that. And then separately, start reading up on, you know, being unpaid caregiver when things go wrong is essentially just having caregiver stress, financial stress, relationship stress, workplace stress, all come together at once at one time. And there is no one thing that can support you. You will need a financial aid. You will need a legal aid. You will need a personal assistant. You will need a home care aid, right? So it, it, there's no one way to prepare. So the best way to prepare is to recognize that you're in it. Be ready to ask for help, freaking challenge yourself to ask for help, but most importantly, equip those around you to see that you're in that role and you tell them when you see me drowning, come and get me because yeah. I'm not going to ask you for help. So just so you know, and for Lisa, when you're listening to this afterwards, I'll be calling you. I mean, you sound like a wonderful friend. So awesome. certainly, <laughs> certainly someone that we could all uh, appreciate and gain advantage from. So, you know, you've been in this space for a while and you see how the U.S. has kind of navigated this role of the caregiver and what they've done to support from a federal level or even a state level. Are there other countries that do this differently? Are there other models that like, yeah, we could learn from this country or that country? I'm just curious if you've come across other instances where you're like, gosh, if we did more of that, then that would actually help take the burden off. Because like you said, maybe maybe the state could put a body in there 
uh, or mow your lawn or, or give you the things you need without asking for it explicitly or paying for it. Yeah. So I am not an expert in other countries per se. I could give you anecdotal, mm -hmm. anecdotal answers, but what I can tell you mm -hmm. is I think of the United States as 50 little states, 50 little countries. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. can tell you that absolutely there are vast differences in how states deal with it. I'm going to use this as an example, mm -hmm. two best in class states, in my opinion, New York and Massachusetts. These okay. are two states that have, with great intention, over and over again, and increasingly since COVID, worked to put in place supportive infrastructure that starts with the state of New York, for example, um, has launched statewide the use, the ability of people to tap into the caregiver intensity index. The caregiver intensity index is the tool that we use at Archangel. So it's literally a two-minute quiz, like a two-minute therapy session has been described to us as, mm -hmm. that you go through and it kind of delivers you back a score. You're in the green, yellow, or red. Oh, and wow. it tells you, you know, here are the two things most driving that intensity. And here are the two things most alleviating it. And then wow. for each of those, it says, go here for help. And mm -hmm. in this particular circumstance, it crosswalks you up, it cross walks you to NY Connects, New York Connects, that anybody in the state of New York has access to. With the state wow. of Massachusetts, in partnership with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mass and the Massachusetts Caregiving Initiative, we're launching a similar effort. And these campaigns have two things in common. One, their goal is they have that campaign. I'm using the term campaign very intentionally because if unpaid caregivers are not walking around aware that they're in that role, then they're not availing themselves of these resources. They're not raising their hands or answering that email. So job number one of this campaign is to say, are you mowing somebody's lawn, right? Are you worrying about somebody? Could you take a vacation right now for three days? No, why not? Okay, you're probably an unpaid caregiver. 43% of us are. One in four of us are in the red. We see you, yeah. we love you, find out your intensity, and then we can get you supported. And then the second component is, so you get your intensity score, you get crosswalk to resources, but you know what these states are also looking at? Is how can we aggregate in an anonymized way, what is the level of intensity across our states and what, how well are we doing at supporting it? And can we make a data-based argument to be putting more resources to work at the things that are most driving that intensity for our particular state. So I do think there are examples yeah. across the state, across the country of states that are crushing at doing their very best in data-driven and heart-filled ways to support this extraordinary backbone of our country. Are there reasons why more states don't follow the lead of, of New York and Massachusetts? Like, is it like a misunderstanding? Is it a myth around the whole field? Like what is preventing other states from clamoring to catch up? I think it's taken a long time for people to understand because the, the role and import of unpaid caregiving is largely or has been largely invisible up until COVID. I think people, they have silos in their head where they're attributing cause and effect and they're thinking about top and bottom line impact. And most states, most individuals don't have a bucket in their head of unpaid caregiver. If I want to impact top and bottom line in my state, you know, health plan, employees. I got to think about their role as an unpaid caregiver. I'm thinking, I have to think about your role with your diabetes. I have to think about the fact that you have a hard time with transportation. Actually, the underlying most foundational element of everything that drives top and bottom line and certainly emotional impact across our country is being an unpaid caregiver. And for many states, until they get to that place, then you, if you don't know what it is, you can't see it. But I promise once you see it, you can't unsee it. So once you start realizing, oh my God, unpaid caregivers are everywhere. And if they're in this role, they're not coming to work. Guess what? If they're not coming to work, I'm not making money off them. I'm not productive. 
And guess what? Then they have to quit their job, replacing their salary costs more. Now they're on the state's system. So that's costing money to the state. I just don't think it's been exposed. The Accenture, which has, has massive top and bottom line impact, and that's slowly but surely happening now. Do you mind just defining the sandwich generation? You, you brought it up earlier, and I have a son, so this will be my second child, and I have aging parents. And so I, I presume I'm, I'm a sandwich kind of for that reason. But, but yeah, if you could spell it out for me. Well, my love, yeah. <laughs> you are in the sandwich generation. Yes. So sandwich generation caregiver is anyone who is serving as a parent or guardian for anyone or people who are under 18 okay. at the same time that they are caring for someone who is or people who are over 18. Oh. And 23% of adults in the U.S. right now are in this role. Wow. 23%, right? And I, I just want to say quickly, I think an easy way to think about COVID is that it has doubled everything. Before COVID, about 21% of adults were in this role. As of COVID, it's 43%. Wow. So, and I can tell you that like before COVID, this is way more than doubling, about 8% of unpaid caregivers were in the red. As of right now, it's 24%. If you are a double duty caregiver, which you are, Rishi, yeah. right? Because you are a paid caregiver as a doctor at yeah. the same time as you're an unpaid caregiver as a papa and a son, you double it again. Wow. Right? So COVID like doubles and being a double duty caregiver doubles it yet again. So I want to give you four cohorts. So if you are cohort one, we're going to say that means you are not serving as an unpaid caregiver in any way at all. Okay. Your rate right now across the U.S., the percentage of adults in that cohort with active suicidal ideation, that means they've had serious suicidal thoughts in the last month, is four and a half percent. If you go to cohort two, that is somebody who is serving only as a caregiver in the parent or guardian role, it doubles nine wow. percent of adults. This is our CDC study number three. 9% of adults in that role have suicidal ideation. If you go to, okay, now I'm only caring for people who are over mm-hmm. 18, it's 10%. Hmm. What do you think the percent of adults in the U.S. right now who are sandwich generation caregivers in the last 30 days have had serious suicidal thoughts? To be honest, I'm scared to answer this question. And the last 30 days is recent. It's not like you're saying last year or five years or something like that. I mean, no. So I, I'm curious to know what what is that percentage? It's 52%. Wow. And what that means, I wish you all could see his face right now. Wow. Um, and what that means, right? As just picture in your head, you just walked into a room of sandwich generation caregivers. That means if you are... If you have considered seriously suicide in the last three days, you're actually normal. And that's actually a bright spot, believe it or not. Like there was a bright spot before we talked about knowing that support exists, having support reduces that intensity and that's protective. Knowing that you're not alone is in and of itself a first line of care. So anybody who's listening, right? Who's like, oh my God, I thought that was the only one who sometimes lay awake and or feels so maxed out or feels like I'm failing at everything. You're not alone. You're not alone. And may that in and of itself reduce intensity. And I have to tell you a funny story. When I was, before I had my first baby, a friend said to me, a friend I really respected, she said, I just want you to know when you have this child, in the beginning, there are going to be days that you're going to be like, wow, I, I got hitched to the wrong person. And I made a mistake to have a child. And my life is over. She said, I promise you that's not true. You are hitched to the right person. You will be happy you had this baby. Everything will end up okay. And there, there was a day when I actually whipped, I was trying to learn to breastfeed, tore open a double duty champion sweatshirt because I was so mad that it wasn't wearing like rage in my body. And I remember thinking to myself, and I was like, and I'm definitely leaving Antonio and I'm definitely never having more children. And there was this voice that came into my head. It was like, oh, you remember this? You had a friend who told yeah. you 
it's going to be okay. And so when I see strangers on the street who are pregnant and I know they're pregnant, first I like ask a question, trying to figure it out. And then I'll say, is this your first child? And if they say yes, I'll say, I'll say, okay, I'm going to tell you something. And I want you to remember the crazy lady on the street <laughs> who said to you, when you have a baby, there will be days in those first six weeks where you will be like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> and I want you to remember the crazy lady on the street who said, you are going to be okay. Yeah. This is normal. And I think for unpaid caregivers, I, like, I wish I could like go grab every single one right now and hold them and be like, you're going to be okay. You know, you need your red phone. Let's get you as prepared as you possibly can. Get your intensity score. Let's crosswalk you over resources exist that you didn't know about, but they are there. But most importantly, we see you. We honor you. We love you. What you're doing is extraordinary and you're doing it well. Wow. That's a, that gave me chills. That's, that's a powerful message, a very powerful message. And maybe a good segue into what you're doing organizationally I and mean, what Archangels is all about. Do you mind just speaking to kind of the, the mission and, and what you guys have accomplished? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, in sort of like most formal terms, you can think of Archangels really as a movement and you feel that, right? The movement component, but also a platform that is reframing how unpaid caregivers are seen, honored, and supported using a combination of data and stories and doing that through public and private ways. The way I would describe it in terms of how you would feel it in your body, in your bones, is it's like this recognition that being in a, it's a, it's a movement and a process to sort of formalize being an unpaid caregiver, or as we call it, being an archangel, mm -hmm. is a job. And you should get credit for that job because it is giving you invaluable skills. And people should be rushing as fast as they can to hire as many unpaid caregivers, as many archangels as they can. Because these unpaid caregivers are multitaskers. They never take no for an answer. They have learned to mm -hmm. work the system, right? Unpaid caregivers have invaluable skill sets. So Archangel's work is a way for you to, you know, people feel shame. Like, well, I, I took five years off of work because I cared my mom. That wasn't five years off of work. That was work. That was Archangel's work, right? And that gave you skills. So put that proudly on your resume. And if you go to archangels.org, you can download that badge loudly sticking on your resume and it has a skill builder what sort of prompts you to remember all the things you did and check those boxes and it's going to give you a quick little thing you can cut and paste onto your resume now let's remember a lot of the people who are on unpaid caregiver roles they don't they're not using linkedin right so okay write it onto your job application just know that you have done extraordinary work and we're going to get you credit for that work and that job like any job has intensity and so our job at Arch archangels is to help you know what your intensity level is validate you in it know what's driving it and alleviating it, give you that score, green, yellow, or red, and then crosswalk you over to these resources that exist that you didn't know about. And the other beautiful thing about that, I will tell you, and Misha, you'll appreciate this because you already have one, you're about to have another. You know, as a mama, there are days that I come out of my office and I'm in the red mm -hmm. and I will let my family know, like everybody, mama is in the red. Yeah. Like now is not, I, I can't explain calculus to you tonight. It's not gonna happen. There are other days that I come running. I'm like, I'm in the green, right? Or in the yellow. Like, it's okay. You can approach. Safe to approach. Yeah. And so having this shared language in your workplace, in your family, in your community is a wonderful way to help not just destigmatize, not just normalize, but create language that celebrates and creates action-oriented vocabulary for people to, like, get, get support when they need it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it hits home. I mean, I have family members who have been caregivers for a long time. And I think, and I've had countless conversations with them about that uneasiness about going back, like you said, back into the job market, when in fact, they've been working along. And in fact, 
working and developing a whole host of skills that could easily um, help in, in other jobs. And so I think that's a really powerful message and, and what you're doing is absolutely incredible. Yeah, we feel very lucky to be doing it. And I have to say again to you, like I can't say to you enough, like you are a double duty caregiver. Yeah. You are a sandwich generation caregiver. So it's a lot. Yeah. You're a caregiver for everyone who listens. I'm watching the heart that you pour into what you're doing, right? That creates intensity. Yeah. So let's let's make sure that you are feeling supported in everything that you're doing. Anyone who's listening, take a moment to love on yourself and love on anyone else you know who's in this role. Um, make sure people know that they're not that they're not alone and that you're there to be their red phone. And I'll be your red phone any day. <laughs> That's actually probably a perfect way to end. Thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you. And thank you for joining us today. It's been my great honor and pleasure. Thank you. I'm Risha Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>